this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Good morning and thanks for tuning in. We're in Proverbs chapter 1 again today. We're picking up with the second part of our series and our study through the book of Proverbs. Looking forward to studying with you this morning. We're going to look at that first speech from a father to his son, from Solomon specifically to his son. Remember the book of Proverbs opens with this section in chapters 1 through 9 that's really a series of 10 speeches. It's not those short little one-liner sayings that we typically think of uh, when we hear the word proverb or we think of a proverb like an old country proverb or something like that. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Those kinds of sayings and proverbs come in the middle section of the book. And setting up all of that in the first nine chapters is this kind of framework that we get with this father speaking to his son in these 10 speeches, giving different scenarios in which in every instance, he's saying that you need to choose the wise path and avoid the foolish one. Avoid making foolish and dumb choices that will only ruin you and lead to destruction and make you miserable and separate you from God. And so we're going to look at the first of those 10 speeches this morning. I'm in Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole, as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us, and we shall have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. And that's it. That's the first speech that we get here in the series of 10 speeches addresses from this uh, father to his son. So again, that main theme through all of these is selfishness and pride. They're destructive. And so you have to avoid making these decisions and, and ruining yourself and pursue the wisdom of God and the fear of the Lord. And I think, it, first of all, it, it's noteworthy it's noteworthy in this text that as a father begins this address, and even though this text is a father's address to his son, notice he brings uh, his mother into the equation. He says in verse 9, uh, excuse me, verse 8, Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. And by God's design, by God's design, he intended that both parents be actively involved in the training up of their children. He never intended for one parent to give all the instruction and training to a child uh, or to give a child all that, that, that it needs. And I know, let me say quickly, that there are, and, and we're all aware of, inescapable circumstances wherein uh, a single parent just doesn't have a choice. They have to do the best um, that they can, he or she can. And I'll say, too, that many of them have, have had great success. You know, sometimes it's just unavoidable if there's 
the death of a spouse or maybe wrongful divorce or um, mom or dad just takes off or maybe they're an unbeliever and they're just not actively engaged. They don't have the same value system as maybe a, a Christ, the Christian spouse does. Uh, and so there's all kinds of circumstances we can think of in which, you know, a single parent, again, just that's they're the only ones. They have no choice and they have to do the best they can. Uh, but God's intention, I think it's worth pointing out, his intention and his ideal in the marriage covenant is for both father and mother to produce godly offspring. And I say that for a number of reasons, but uh, one reason would be Malachi chapter 2. So if you want to turn with me to Malachi chapter 2, we're going to depart from Proverbs 1 for just a moment. And this is Malachi 2. And if you drop all the way down to verse 15, this is Malachi uh, 2.15. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Version here. Proverbs 2.15. So this is in the context of discussing, discussing the marriage covenant. If you look at verse 14, and, and the prophet is uh, really getting after the people and indicting them because uh, they're just kind of capriciously divorcing uh, their wives. Specifically, the, I guess you could say he's getting after the men. They're dealing deceitfully with the wives of their their youth, and that's something that he'll repeat a couple of times and. And this text, don't deal treacherously with your, your wife, uh, the wife of your covenant, um, who is your wife by covenant, rather. Uh, so let's just begin reading in verse 14. You ask why. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God, this is verse 15, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, verse 16, says the Lord, the God of Israel does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord, uh, the Lord Almighty. So, and your Bible might say that God hates divorce. And the whole point of that text is that not it's not just the man and the wife who suffer when they are quarreling and not living up to their end of the covenant. And specifically, the men are addressed in this text because this was a pervasive problem throughout this people that they were dealing treacherously with their wives. They weren't being faithful to their wives. Either they were casting them off or maybe physically in a sexual way. They were being adulterous and they were just, again, just kind of capriciously divorcing their wives and going after whoever they they wanted and and God is saying Malachi is saying this isn't how it's supposed to be that you you are one body you're one spirit you be, you belong to God and God is seeking through this marriage covenant godly offspring and so everybody suffers but especially the children especially the children when uh, you don't fulfill your your covenant before God and live up to your vows and and remain faithful to your your spouse and so by God's design the point is going back to originally what we, we were saying God's intention and his ideal was for this for the people within the marriage covenant the man and the wife to be godly fathers not only godly husbands and wives to one another but also godly fathers and mothers and produce godly offspring and of course that doesn't just happen that doesn't just take care of itself but there's this joint participation and effort that has to come from both parties working together, making wise, sound, biblical decisions, raising their children to fear 
and love God so that they can in turn go on and pass that knowledge on to the next generation and teach their children. And, you know, the, the psalmist makes mention of that, uh, that cycle specifically. So in our culture, you know, the, the primary influences upon young people are their teachers, uh, you know, their schoolmates and their friends, the, you know, the kids that they see every day if they go to public school, even private school. And, they, you know, in the entertainment industry also very pervasive, you know, we, these, you know, this day and age with advances in communication and we got, you know, the iPhones and the iPads and the TVs and the computers. We got screens everywhere. There's TV screens in our cars now. So everywhere we go, we just have the entertainment in- industry you know, it's just at our fingertips, and we can be bombarded with Disney movies, which have their own propaganda, and, you know, Hollywood. And so we have to be aware of those those influences upon our kids um, and how they can easily supplant us, parents, uh, as the primary influence in a child's life. And the child begins paying more attention to those things and, and heeding those things and learning uh, the wisdom, quote-unquote, from those things, then... God's wisdom through godly parents. And so godly parents will be aware of that and be willing to take on their duty to equip their children to combat the evil influences around them, whether it's from their teachers or from their schoolmates or or from the various avenues that the enemy uses, especially the media and entertainment, TV and things like this. We have to take that duty very seriously, and we'll perform it well. We'll do it well if we do it according to God's plan and according to his wisdom. But I think it's noteworthy, again, right off the bat, to see that the writer, the father, the dad, is incorporating the mom into this instruction and into this exhortation to the son, listen to me and listen to your listen to your mom. And so the, the Proverbs are assuming, they're assuming that the mom and dad are godly and they're working to teach their son uh, wisdom. And so before the father launches into this scenario, he appeals here to the son to, to value and to prize instruction. Uh, not so, or, you know. Our first point is that the mom and dad should be involved in giving this instruction, but the father is appealing to his son now that you need to value and prize this instruction. Verse nine. Look at the words that he uses there. It's a graceful wreath to your head. Uh, there are ornaments about your neck, and this is some. This is another theme that we'll see. Throughout Proverbs is this continue continual exhortation to uh, to treasure wisdom and to pursue wisdom as if it were a treasure and to value instruction and the source of wisdom who is God and and the instructions of your parents. You know, if you look to another one another example, just look to chapter two and verse two, uh, verse one. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. Seek her as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures. And so, there again, just you know, repeatedly one one verse right after the other in chapter two, we see again that same theme coming up. Prize this instruction, value it. Don't let it depart from you. And this is something that I think should resonate with with Christians because. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. And so that that wording and, and the idea of wisdom and knowledge being a treasure and likened unto silver and gold and things like this, you know, that carries over, of course, into uh, the, the New Testament. And if you want to take a look at Colossians chapter 2, this is where we find Paul saying, 
um, that wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Look at the context here in chapter 2. And so this is a long thought, but just uh, bear with me here. I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. Uh, well, verses 1 through 4, just to get uh, the context. And Paul says, I want you to know, this is Colossians 2 and verse 1. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude, delude you with pers, uh, persuasive argument. Even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now Paul will go on throughout this chapter to discuss three false doctrines that evidently had been introduced to the church at Colossae by various people. And he prefaces that in addressing those those three things by saying, Christ has all, all in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is He is everything. He is all you need to know, and all you need to. He is the only one you need to obey. And he says in verse four, "I'm saying this because I don't want you to be deluded. I don't want you. I don't want someone to come in to delude you with a persuasive argument. If you drop down to verse eight, he'll say this again. See to it that no one takes you captive through empty philosophy." Uh, through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And again, he speaks to the sufficiency of Christ in verses 9 and 10. And so Paul is speaking of the centrality of, of Christ and as the one source of, of true wisdom and knowledge. And, and Proverbs is going to, as we study through Proverbs, Proverbs is going to enrich our understanding of Jesus because he's the source of this wisdom. And we can see him using the wisdom that we find on the pages of Scripture and specifically in the book of Proverbs. We see him using that in his life as a man as we read through, as we read through the Gospels. And I think another interesting point, you know, there's a little bit of a contrast here in Colossians 2 and Proverbs Proverbs 1, but there's some overlap also, of course, not just technically in, in, in the language, but in the point that Paul is is making and that the Father is making to his son. Right? Paul is saying that there's, he and Paul is speaking specifically of religious philosophies that had been introduced into Colossae that were siphoning off uh, uh, Christians and, and, and diluting them, as he says there in verse Verse four, they were they were arguments that sounded very persuasive, right? That's the word they use is very persuasive. They sound really good. They appear to be wise. He'll say at the end of the chapter in Colossians two twenty three, uh, but he says they're ultimately of no value. And it's Christ. It is Christ who fills all in all. He is the source of wisdom, and he has everything you need. So pay attention to him is the idea. But not all philosophies. Here's my point, and here's where there's the similarity and um, a difference is that not all philosophy is religious philosophy. Because we're going to see here that what the father is warning his son against in Proverbs chapter 1 is not a religious philosophy. It's not about Judaism or asceticism or something like this. It's, it's, a, it's a criminal philosophy, if you will. And we're going to see that. And, but nevertheless, there are still persuasive arguments used and there's still this element of enticement uh, and, and cajoling uh, the, the son to come and join their lot and be with them and engage in these things. We're going to see that as we move forward. But this harkens back to the previous teaching of, of verse 7. 
as the as the writer is saying, value value this wisdom, value this instruction that's coming from your mom and I. You know, because previously in verse seven that we looked at last week, the writer says, Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So he's already mentioned here previously in this short prologue that there are there are two paths. There's the path of the fool who despises instruction, who despises wisdom, and then there's the path of those who fear the Lord. And the key difference between those two is their relationship to God. The one who fears God and reveres God finds knowledge and wisdom. And the one who doesn't, the fool, he hates instruction, he hates wisdom because, because he has no fear of God. Because there is no higher authority than himself. And when we hear that word fool, we might try to mingle some maybe some modern conceptions of it. We you know, we sp- think of fool as someone maybe who's like has a mental defect or who does something foolish. They just do something dumb uh, and, and you know, and they hurt themselves or they make a bad investment or, or something like that. You know, but the biblical fool um, has a much lower status, if you will. So the biblical fool is not someone who necessarily has some sort of mental deficiency or mental defect, but the biblical fool is always somebody who is morally who is morally deficient. And that's a key component to understanding the force of of the writer's words here. Understanding what a biblical fool is, that they're morally deficient, that fools lack sense, and they lack the sense to even know that they lack sense because biblically the, the fool that the Bible speaks of is one who is proud. And because he is so proud and because he's so arrogant, he's unteachable in his arrogance. And so he goes on rejecting wisdom and rejecting knowledge that will ultimately help him because he hates it, because he hates discipline. He, he can't come down and lower himself to, to think of himself as someone who needs instruction. He can't humble himself to the point and recognize he can't define good and evil for himself or define what a good, prosperous way is for himself. He has to submit himself to God. He's unwilling to do that. And so a fool ends up wasting his or her life and ultimately coming to ruin. And I want to take a quick look at a couple of examples uh, with you. Both are in the book of Proverbs, so we'll just turn forward here to Proverbs chapter 12. This is Proverbs 12. And this, I'm just grabbing a couple of verses here, but certainly there are more. And if you have a cross-reference, a marginal bar in your Bible where there's cross-references, you can certainly find many other examples. But this is Proverbs 12.15. It says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So there's one of those uh, short adages, one of those short proverbs that we see um, there in that middle section, and saying a fool is is right is always right in his own eyes. And so if that's the case, then what reason would he ever come down and humble himself and listen to somebody who has greater wisdom than him? Proverbs twenty six. In verse 12 is another example. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for, for him. And so this is key as we, as we move forward. As with, with, we have to move forward the, through the Proverbs with this understanding that, it's, that Solomon is saying that, okay, here's the, this is the time to make this personal, to make application and apply what I said, to make sure that you fear the Lord, Lord and you're not going to be a fool. You don't play the part of a fool. You heed 
You heed wisdom and you heed instruction. And so Solomon, like any good parent, he's going to repeatedly warn against taking the bait here as he reveals this specific scenario. So here's the scenario that he lays out. It's in verses 9 through 14. This is Proverbs chapter 1. Excuse me, uh, uh, verse 11 through 14. So he says here, If sinners entice you, verse 10, do not consent. And if they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, and let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol. Uh, We will find all kinds of precious wealth, and we'll fill our houses with spoil. And so he gives all these hypotheticals, right? We read those in verses um, 11 through 14 earlier. And they're sandwiched, again, in between these warnings, verse 10, if sinners entice you, don't consent. And then verse 15, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. And so he, as he's going through this scenario and describing these people, he's describing people, the invitations of fools who are, who are greedy for unjust gain. They're looking for easy money, right? And they're painting this rosy picture for Solomon's son that's meant to entice him and to conjole him. Right, we'll have one purse, we'll have precious wealth, we'll fill our houses with spoil, there's going to be an abundance. So they hope to enjoy the fruit of other men's labors. They want to extort innocent people, kill them, and take what is, what's theirs, their, their possessions. And they're offering a substitute for family, and they're giving all this kind of, uh, of assurance. And so Solomon, again, is saying, don't, don't take the bait. And then he's going to go, Solomon goes into brutal detail about the consequences, doesn't he? That's how this first speech ends in verses 16 through 19. Solomon uh, goes through the consequences that await greedy, murderous people, selfish people in this last part. And so he's going to paint the reality for us. So the hypotheticals and the invitations there of the fools, it's very... Um, it's a very rosy picture, right? It's meant to entice. But Solomon says, here's the reality. Here's the reality. He says, these folks, they run to evil, and they hasten to hurt and kill other people, but ultimately they're hastening to their own hurt, and they kill themselves because God is going to ensure that they receive, that their deeds receive what they deserve, right? Verse 16, they run to evil, they hasten to shed blood, but verse 18, they ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. You know, fools, the biblical fool only considers the short-term benefits of sin. They fail to consider the long-term consequences. And Solomon illustrates their stupidity by using a bird's reaction to a fowler spreading a net in plain sight. That's the image that he uses in verse 17. It's useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. And so what's he saying? What's the point that he's making? He's saying even a bird knows better than to step into an obvious trap. But people who live in violence and extorting and abusing others, they have less foresight and they're more foolish than birds because they're setting their own traps. They're, they're plotting to destroy other people and to Uh, and to rob other people, but they're actually devising their own doom, is his point. Because their evil actions will always cry out for judgment. And those who choose a life of crime will, will ruin their own lives. Sooner or later, they will be caught and punished, either in this life or in final judgment or both. Sin always finds us out, Moses says in the book of Numbers. I think, too, embedded within this teaching 
Embedded within this teaching is the importance of choosing our companions wisely. Because our friends and who we choose to associate ourselves with, they're, they're going to influence our character and they're going to influence our reputation. Right? Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. You know, and it's funny in that, in that text, he's again talking about, that's said in a religious context in 1 Corinthians 15 when people were uh, tolerating some false teaching about the resurrection. But certainly that principle goes beyond just a religious context and into uh, worldly relationships as well. We don't want to have fellowship, certainly with someone who's engaged in false teaching, but we don't have, have fellowship with somebody who's a moral reprobate either, like the people that Solomon is describing in Proverbs chapter 1. We don't want to participate in those kinds of, of deeds, you know, even if those people are people that we know well. And, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the, the folks that our children will encounter, they're going to meet a whole host of people, diverse people in their lives. And we want to be careful as we are painting these pictures for them. We want to warn them, yes, they need to be lights in the world and influence other people, but we need to make sure that they're aware that those who are closest to you, who you choose as your companions and your friends, they're going to influence you. And so what what do we ultimately seek for ourselves and for our, our kids? You know, we live in a world that's just full of fools playing games who imagine that their their fame and their fortune and their pleasure is going to make them a winner. In, in this life or on the other side, they have nothing to worry about. Our culture is constantly preaching materialism and preaching hedonism to our kids instead of the fear of the Lord. And so it's on us. It's on Christians and it's on parents to heed the message of, of Proverbs and take responsibility for, for training our children in the wisdom of God, showing them the path of, of righteousness. The wonderful promise of Scripture in James chapter 1 is that God offers wisdom to all who seek it from Him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. It's a promise. It's a promise, and we have to humble ourselves before God, seek Him through His Word, and in prayer ask for understanding, ask for the wisdom that only He can give. Wisdom doesn't just come upon us suddenly, but it, it grows it grows as we dedicate ourselves to understanding and applying the wisdom of God that's found in His Word. And there was no wiser man who ever lived than Jesus Christ. There was never more of a perfect son than Jesus, and He gave His life for you and me. And Paul says He has the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So are we seeking Him? Are we pursuing Him through His Word? Are we coming to know Him better through his Bible and specifically this this book that we're that we're studying, as we see the wisdom that he exercised in his own life. Well, I appreciate you tuning in this morning. I hope you continue to study these things. I'm looking forward to studying with you again. And please, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask or contact us. Visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org where you can submit a contact form if that's your desire. Give us a call or just come see us. Just come visit us Sunday morning at 9:30 Bible classes. Uh, 10.30, we have worship services, and again at 6 p.m., we have evening services. We also have a midweek Bible study on Wednesday night at 7.30, so there's plenty of opportunities for you to come and see us in person. You can also shoot us an email at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. 
Again, thanks for tuning in. Please join me next week. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.